welcome to episode 235 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 19th of June, 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Faden. Hello. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. Let's start with some feedback. Gareth writes, I'm about to start at a company which is open source. I'm excited because this is the first time I'll be paid to work on code which is publicly visible, but it's a startup, hence the risk it may not work out. I'd love to hear your thoughts on companies taking an open source approach. What opportunities does it provide over a closed source, which may help to ensure a company can keep paying for people directly to work on open source code? Well, surely the first advantage is that you can get community contributions, in theory at least. Yeah, I agree. I I think there's two aspects to this. There's the the companies that are using open source and allowing you to contribute to open source. That's one aspect of it. And working for a company which is paying people to work on open source is a different part of it. I think if you're being paid to be a developer and you, as part of your job, you are enabled to contribute to upstream projects in the open, then that is an incredibly valuable thing for your resume that you get to be seen as being a contributor to an upstream project you get to learn how to work with the community you get your name out there and you know your resume is now your github page where people can see the things that you've worked on the contributions that you've made and how you've engaged with the community that in itself is valuable both monetarily and like career-wise to find a, a a company which will pay you to work on open source i think is is perhaps more difficult like to pay you directly canonical red hat those sorts of people will do it but i I think the real value is in working for a company which is aiming to make a profit and is producing a service which also contributes to open source in the best way they can which is by putting people onto the upstream projects and getting involved in that and learning interaction with the community and getting your name out there as an established expert in whatever it is that you're contributing to well, well done for managing to get the holy grail there because uh, that's what you really want because it's great to be able to write software and it's great that it's open and it yeah, as long as you can appreciate to take, well, not criticism from different people contradicting what you might say, but like learn from each other. Uh, it would be a hard place to be, mind you, where you're you're in the sort of open spotlight, whereas in a, another closed source company, you might be behind a sort of a curtain of a team who's doing something and uh, it might feel a bit safer, whereas right here, you're kind of wide open for everything. It's one of those things where you just have to sort of roll with it somewhat and not take things personally and learn where you can learn and just maybe tell people to shut up if they're being arseholes. I think that's good advice. And I think the broader point of the companies themselves, how they can benefit, well, they end up with people like you, Gareth, the best and the brightest, because there's a lot of people who really want to work on open source and do it all publicly. And that is really attractive to people who are looking for a job. I think it's more nuanced, and we don't know what the company is doing. To me, the open source part isn't the most important part. I'm assuming this is a startup that somebody or some people have seen an opportunity and the opportunity happens to be open source and that's genuinely exciting but it's not the fact 
that it it has to be open source because of some idealism. It's an opportunity, and in in that case, I'm hoping the risk is worth it uh, for all the reasons that Will and Phelim and you have said, Joe. Um, if you can find a system that works and it's open source, that's great. But I think that's much more difficult. Most of the world doesn't care. And so without knowing anything about what the company is, I'm finding it difficult to comment because it's going for the sake of it being open source, it's going to be a struggle. And so I just hope that there's some unique aspect to this that we can all kind of learn from. Yeah, but from Gareth's point of view, being able to have his work out in the open, like Will said, having the, the nice green blocks on the GitHub thing, that's always a bonus. Yeah, and it's what personally drives me as well. I mean, I don't think I could work for a company that isn't Linux or open source for all the pros and cons of everything else. It's the only thing that really makes me feel I fit into something. Just you wait till you get laid off and need another job, Graham. You'll change your tune soon enough. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it, but I, I would try very very hard to find something involved with linux and open source i be the the problem isn't like idealism it's my own kind of laziness and being unable to engage with something that isn't also something that i care about if if i get a job in banking i just i would just glaze over and be rubbish at it it has to be linux open source for me to like wake up in the morning honestly there's a bit of a danger though where you can sort of worry about the open source side of things too much where it sort of consumes you a bit maybe mm. for the people who are able to switch off at like nine to five and just go i don't care i do my job i come in that's it i'm fine whereas the FOSS side of things it's a bit more involved because you feel like you've got a part in it uh well certainly from my aspect anyway and it's where you just go, you know, I wish I could just be excited about the latest iPhone coming out and I could just pay the money, mm. be part of the, the people and just do the thing. But it's a bit more of a slog when it comes down to the FOSS side of things and it can be wearing on yourself. Mm. And that would be a danger to look out for because you can feel like you're on a, well, not a pilgrimage or something, but it, you feel like you're sort of taking the right route maybe but it can be awful sort of lonely and hardcore sometimes as well mm. and it's a definitely thing to look out for i would say and you're also open to more public scrutiny like will you were in quite a prominent position being the head of ubuntu desktop and that did grind you down a bit didn't it all the shit that you got on reddit yeah and and exactly what failing was saying it is exhausting dealing with flack every day and having to have an opinion about things that you know you've, you've upset a particular person by making a particular decision and you think oh how how come i didn't think of that at the time and you really beat yourself up over it and it's exhausting and there were definitely times where you think oh, i wish i could just go back to being uh, normal again and and not my my world was much smaller before and sometimes i wish it was small again but generally speaking i think expanding your horizons is uh, is a positive outcome but yeah i think you do have to get a bit of a thick skin and you need some coping mechanisms and those coping mechanisms should not be drinking heavily <laughs> <laughs> well the flip side of that must be that you do get people saying really positive things to you as well and really appreciating the work that you do and if you're out in the open doing open source work then you're going to have both people giving you shit and also saying they appreciate you and if you develop that thick skin and coping mechanisms then it surely must be better than just working 
in total obscurity for a proprietary company that no one knows what you're doing. Everything's just done totally in secret. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. And I think that's what Graham was making that point earlier on, right? That when you wake up in the morning, you want to be going and doing something which is open source because you do want to feel that you're contributing to something bigger than yourself and you want to be part of a a bigger success. Okay. Some listeners of Late Night Linux already use TrueNAS, and this episode is sponsored by iX Systems. In case you didn't know, iX Systems is the company behind FreeNAS and TrueNAS, and has chosen Linux for their latest open storage distro, TrueNAS Scale. TrueNAS was originally built on FreeBSD, providing unified storage for millions of users from the enterprise to the home. TrueNAS Scale is Debian-based and combines the legendary data management, protection, and scalability of OpenZFS with the power of Kubernetes apps and KVM for virtualization. TrueNAS Scale is open source and completely free to use. And when you're ready for a mission-critical business solution with 24-7 support that won't lock you in with overpriced licensing, iX is ready to help with TrueNAS Enterprise. To learn more about TrueNAS and download it for free, visit truenas.com slash LNL. That's T-R-U-E-N-A-S dot com slash L-N-L. Let's do some discoveries then. Graham, stream Android with screen copy. That's what I'm going to call it, even though it's spelled S-C-R-C-P-Y. But that's got to be copy, screen copy. It's It's got to be something like that. Anyway, with badly named project. Oh, it's a terrible name for a project. It's terrible for anyone, let alone dyslexics. Oh, pronounced screen copy. Yes, I got that without even reading it. Yes. But it's worth persevering. Um, I think... I don't know why, but for a long time, I've been looking for something that will stream my Android screen to my Linux desktop. It's sometimes convenient to be able to have your phone display on there. And this is what Scrib does. (laughs) Um, And it does it brilliantly. And you don't need a rooted device. You just need like ADB enabled in the um, developer settings on your Android device. And then you run this client and the two things talk to each other. And within a second, you get this perfect representation of your verbatim of your Android display on your desktop. It, It supports up to like 120 hertz. It's super smooth. It's all accelerated on your Android device. It looks brilliant. And it does loads of things, but you can use your keyboard and your mouse on your Linux machine to interact with your Android device. It'll appear as a webcam or as a camera on your Linux system, so you can use it in other apps. I mean, it's really useful if you ever have half a need to get your Android screen on your computer, such as, I don't know, for an app you may use or for debugging app development, or just if you want to be able to see notifications while you're in important business meetings. So it's not just one way then. It's not just streaming it. You can send keyboard events back to the Android device. Yeah, just in that, I think that's like the only example. I think it comes up as an HID device on Android. And so you can just kind of control it. It's not built to be a two-way thing, but that is two-way, that element of it. So you can mouse and select apps and then type in the keyboard, which is really all you need. Can you swipe around with your mouse then? No, I've not been able to do that. It's It appears like an Android mouse cursor you know if you've ever plugged a mouse into an android device right yeah okay but i find it really useful and it's amazing the performance of it because it just it just works so well you'd be able to i haven't tried this but i mean it'd be perfectly fine playing games on your linux machine that you may have on your android device that kind of thing it's just it's there must be some latency i think the website says it's like between 
I don't know, 50 milliseconds or something like that. But it feels very quick and natural, much better than VNC, which is what I was kind of expecting it to be like. But it's not like that at all. There's no compression. It's like one-to-one, super high resolution if you've got a high-resolution device. Really impressive for such a small tool with a terrible name. (laughs) I am struggling a little bit to think of a use case for this. This seems like one of those things that's really cool, but like, why would I want to? So I do it for notifications mainly. But there are a couple of apps I have on my Android device, like an RSS reader, that I, I I like. And it's a small window with a lot of functionality that you can keep on your screen when you're doing other things. This is really geeky as well, but I've also used it in virtual reality so that I can access my phone while I've got my headset on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't even going to admit to that because I knew you'd just all have <laughs> now <you> have. sweaty <laughs> me looking at my phone. <laughs> the RSS reader thing I could maybe see. Yeah. I don't know about this uh, VR nonsense, though. So it doesn't need anything on the phone itself, then? Just the uh, Android yeah. uh, debug mode? Well, that's quite handy now, in all fairness. Yeah, I don't know. Technically, there must must I don't know, actually. If there must be some way of, in ADB of sending the video data. Yeah, interesting. Failing. Lobster.rs. Lobsters. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this is probably not new to a lot of people, but it is similar to Hacker News. And the only reason... I got myself in a bit of an annoyance with Hacker News was I discovered the whole companies with AI being promoted by their own internal things and the whole backhandy thing where anybody getting access to AI was essentially just this giant scheme of circle jerky Hacker News Y Combinator ownership that uh, made me quite annoyed. And I went, you know what? Even going to Hacker News now, I'm I'm irritated enough that I don't want to be there. So I already had lobsters. I was using it now and again, and uh, I just decided to kind of stick with it a bit more. Okay, fair enough. There are some things in Hacker News that are quite good, a bit out of tech stuff, but I don't know. I just don't want to give them any more of my effort anymore. I just don't even go there. It's I'm just sick of all the tech bros, really sick of them. And uh, lobsters is a nice news aggregator that people who are decent human beings put their stories into. So there you go. Yeah, and you only need an account to upvote stuff or submit stuff. But if you want to just read it, then you don't even have to log in or anything. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, I, I'm not going to be doing much uploading stuff either. So yeah, read only is fine. All right, Fadim, Gyroflow. Yeah, so I thought this would be really cool. And I liked the video or GIFs that they had showing you how to use it. But it is a way to reduce via... Um, was it camera shake or whatever, wobble, whatever. I don't know what you would term it as properly, but essentially use up some of the space of the picture to stabilize the image inside. Oh, yes, image stabilization. There we go. I got there eventually. Now, I have no skills with a video, and I thought I could just easily plug in a video here. It looks like it's simple to use. It'll be great. Wasn't quite as easy as I thought it would be, and it kind of needs to know what type of camera you've used. And I thought, well, okay, I'm sure they have phones. So I'll use one of my phone videos, load it in, went for OnePlus, yeah. They have a mobile section, OnePlus, no, no 3T, because my phone's too old. So I got something to kind of do something, but it didn't look quite as good as their demo videos, let's put it that way. But I imagine if I had sort of modern recent gear and had a a slightly more clue of what I was doing, it might actually look good. And uh, yeah, I think... 
there are people out there who maybe don't know there's a free GPL3 version piece of software that does this and could very well, you know, do well out using it. So it's kind of one of those for smarter people at home to use, not me. When I saw this link and looked at the GitHub page for the source, I saw those two demo videos and I thought, oh, wow, this looks absolutely amazing. And then I quickly went on YouTube to look at some other examples. And what I was met with was page after page of tutorial trying to show you how to use this thing. <laughs> and it, it looks complicated. I've never tried yeah. using it, but just looking at these people talk about it, it looks complicated. Yeah. Well, it is necessarily a complicated thing to do, isn't it? To take a shaky video and work out how to make it not shaky by cropping in and stuff. And the link that we'll put in the show notes, you'll see these two examples. One of them is someone running down a mountain and it is night and day, the before and after. And then you see how it's done and it is very complex. This seems like one of those kind of professional tools. This is not a, you know, something that you're going to do in five minutes. This is something that you have to really know about video editing and and video software generally to be able to use. But like Phelan said, it's great that there is a GPL3 piece of software that seems to be really competent at this. Not only that, but written in Rust and using QML. Oh, it's like a double mm. win over. <laughs> I think I tried this before quite a while ago, and I couldn't get it to work because it at the time it didn't seem to understand the gyroscope data from my GoPro, which is what I think it uses to predict how it's going to change the video footage right oh. um, but just looking at the readme now it seems to support all kinds of cameras gyroscope data including lots of uh, gopro devices yeah like i was i was looking in the library directory for it and there's a huge number of stuff in there like mountains of stuff but just not anything i had <laughs> yeah yeah okay this episode is sponsored by tailscale go to tailscale.com Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point -point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer -peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com to try it for free on up to 100 devices. That's tailscale.com. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. All right, well, a quick update from a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the Pixel 7. It actually gets worse, believe it or not. Yes. Yes, yes. failing. Gloat while you can. So I had the June update, and now it's all fine, right? Except overnight, I go to sleep on like, you know, 85%, wake up 75%. It's losing about 10% per night. 
and I've no idea why. And it's just this dodgy, bloody update that's done it. Oh, it's a shame. <laughs> I know, it's a real shame, isn't it? And, you know, just after we recorded last time, I talked about wanting to get an iPhone, but it's the RSS reader that's really holding me back with Feedly integration. I thought to myself, I wonder what the official Feedly app's like. I've never actually tried that. Turns out, pretty good. So I've tried it on the iPad, and I am now really close to just saying, fuck Android, man. I think I am close to being old enough. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not sure I like how this has gone. This has gone terribly bad. (laughs) (laughs) My gloating has gone terribly, terribly wrong here. What's going on? Be careful what you wish for, Falim. Just fucking put lineage on it. You'll see a difference, I'm sure. Yeah, it'll be worse. Ah, rubbish. Will, what is watchy? Well, would you believe that watchy is a watch? And, get this, it's built on... An ESP32. Yay! Of course it <laughs> no is. Way. No way. Do you like them? Well, I do, but uh, I was made aware of this from uh, a friend of mine at work, and he got one just for lols. It's a microcontroller with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth connectivity. It's an e-ink display, like quite a small one, watch face-sized e-ink display, and you kind of bodge it all together with this strap and a battery, and it's got some firmware with it that tells the time but you can just use your Arduino IDE or platform IO and make your own software for your own watch. You can add UI widgets. He's hooked it up to his solar panels so that he can see what solar generation is being produced whenever he wants. It's just a nice little self-contained open source hardware, open source software, nice little project, lots of hackability. Looks like a bit of fun. Oh my God, and you can 3D print your own case for it. Or rather, you can get Graham to 3D print your own case for it and send it to you. That is fantastic. They've got the sort of start of a little marketplace as well going on, which I think makes it quite interesting that you buy one of these and then you can lean on the community to provide you with uh, novelty watch faces and apps. And I think that if it gets going in any significant number, there'll be custom firmwares on GitHub and, and that kind of thing because there's no attempt to lock it down. It's you know purely an open device. So it should be a bit of, bit of a laugh. This reminds me of the Pebble watches. It seems like a spiritual successor to them. Yeah, it could be. I mean, they were funded from a Kickstarter campaign and it seemed to be successful. And I think there are people that still wear those watches because they just love the design and the, the life that they had. But yeah, shame that they obviously didn't work for Google. I assume you haven't assembled one yet. I haven't, and I haven't actually ordered one. I'm kind of waiting to see how it goes. But my mate at work's got one. I've seen his. It looks a little bit uh, homemade, I suppose, which is kind of part of the charm. Okay. Yeah, it's not exactly an Apple Watch Series 11T, is it? So it's good then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, my Garmin looks pretty bloody ugly. I've got used to it, but it's this huge block on my wrist. (laughs) No, no, that's chunky and cool, Graham. It's cool. If you can't fuck with the teacher by uh, changing channels on the telly with it, then I'm not interested. (laughs) Will, what is Turis Omnia? I'm sure I've not pronounced that correctly. I 
don't know how to pronounce it, but I think you did a good job. <laughs> it's another piece of hardware, and this time it's an open source router and Wi-Fi access point. Oh, good. I better buy that immediately so you could also get me wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one is genuinely open source and is built on top of OpenWRT. So is it? Yeah. It's, oh, good. Yeah, it, it's actual open source this time. Now, the downside is it's quite expensive. 435 <laughs> yeah, quid. That, yeah, yeah. That's Ooh. that's a bit steep, but but it has got four aerials. Mm, yeah, yeah, means faster. It's got four aerials. It's got Wi-Fi six, whatever that is. But it's it does a bit more. If you were going to buy a Raspberry Pi to run as a server, now <laughs> this is only a dual core machine, so it'd have to be a relatively low powered one. Then you know you could perhaps not have to buy one of those devices. But where it actually stands out, in my opinion, is that it's got three PCIe mini connectors inside oh. it, and so you can stick hard drives. It's got like the MSATA port built in there. You can stick hard drives or other cards or whatever you want in there. So you can actually use it like a more powerful computer with some actual storage and add-ons in there. So you could run a file server on it. You can run virtualized stuff on it. It's got a SIM card slot in it if you need a fallback. It kind of does all the things. It's also got some interesting software, which I think we touched on a few weeks ago. Like, How do you try and manage what your kids are up to on your network? Well, this has got some Snoopy software in there, which will allow you to monitor and filter and block certain things through a relatively nice web interface. I say relatively nice because it still looks like quite a lot of clicking and pointing that needs to be done. But it looks like an interesting device. However, it is very expensive. I think it's overpriced. Like it has got all the aerials on it. I'm sure it will cover your house and next door as well. But I don't know. I, it's, I'm not going to go and buy one and find out. I was going to say, this sounded like something you were going to play back to your wife later to justify <laughs> the expense. <laughs> so you haven't actually bought one then? No, I, I'm kind of like all these new Wi-Fi things that do two and a half gigabits. I just really don't need anything like that. So I don't really see a need or an oppressing business case to, uh, to really upgrade. I was really revving up really revving up to get right stuck in until you mentioned the three bloody PCI, mini PCI ports and now it got, oh shit, that actually does sound really useful. Really though, the mini ones, the laptop style, how useful are they really? Yeah, you can get really cool expansion ports on those though. Well, can you get SATA adapters and stuff? You right? can, yeah, you yeah. can, yeah. Yeah, right. You see, ah, you mm. bastard. You couldn't even let me enjoy scoffing at you, you, oh. <laughs> The aerials, though, they look so silly. Well, at least it doesn't look like a spider. <laughs> true, true. That is true. A couple of USB ports as well could be useful. I think it genuinely could replace a separate router and Raspberry Pi doing networky stuff in your house. I think you could replace it with a single box, but it would still be cheaper to buy two boxes. Well, you say that, but can you get them? That's the other thing. Well, yes, that's a, that's a fair point. These you can buy on Amazon. Yeah, I could get this later this week if I wanted to spend the 435 quid. <laughs> 60 quid delivery, though. Oh, what? So that, that makes it nearly 500 that. quid. Uh, but that's because you live in Brexit stand, though, isn't it? I mean, so... Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, well, off Amazon DE, it is 5 euros delivery and only 375 euros. Okay, so this is not for Brexit Britain. <laughs> maybe I'll buy three. Yeah, maybe you will. 
And then I will send you a phone with a battery in it. Oh, no, I won't be allowed to do that, will I? <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. All right, well, I found two ways to troll fail him. Good. The first one, <laughs> footage. So this is a really, really simple application that allows you to crop videos, shorten them, rotate them. So if you've accidentally shot them in the wrong orientation and then export them, you can make them smaller. It's uh, just a really, really simple video editor. Just, it's, I don't think you could really call it a video editor because you can't combine clips or anything like that. It's just for if you want to just cut off the last couple of seconds or something or whatever, it could be a super useful tool for that. And uh, I tried it out as a flat pack. So that's how I'm trolling failing with this one. And it's also very much a GNOME app as well. Maybe I like those types of things. I'm very uh, with it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did find a weird bug in it where if you exported it as the same codex and everything that it was and you rotated it, it didn't do that properly. But then it was fine if you did the recommended WebM. So I don't know exactly what was going on with that. So it's not 100% perfect, but it could be really, really useful if, for example, you take a video of something and then you just want to cut just a little bit off the top of it or you want to zoom in like, oh no, I accidentally had my really disgraceful desk in shot to the left of it. I want to crop that out or something. I can see this being really useful for capturing screencasts where you capture the whole screen and, you know, a notification pops up in the corner which says something mm. that you don't want to be there and you can just shrink it down. Now, I know that you can record specific windows and all that kind of things, but I never remember to do that. So I can see a lot of use for this. I often want to just trim a little bit off. This would be really good. And the other way that I'll be trolling Fadim this week is chat GPT shell CLI. I hope your computer goes on fire. <laughs> so both of these are stolen from OMG Linux, by the way. So shout out to Joey there. No, no shout outs for Joey because he's evil. That's why. Uh, well, he's been doing it for a year. So well done to him for that. So anyway, this is, as the name suggests, chat GPT on the command line. And you can even do image generation with it, supposedly. Now, I tried to use it. And, uh, oh yeah, here's the other great thing about it. Not only is it AI and ChatGPT, to install it, you just curl the uh, shell script, <laughs> pipe it to sudo bash. Good, good, I'm glad. Yeah. That's great, great. I mean, I did do this in a VM on a throwaway laptop installation of OpenSUSE. I hope you physically threw the laptop out the window <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, I did, yeah, I did. I, I set fire to it, it's fine. So. It wouldn't work for me, though, because my account is too old and I haven't got any free API credits anymore. 
so you have to get your API key. And it turns out that when you first sign up for your OpenAI account, you get 20 dollars, I don't know, some some number of credits anyway, and mine had expired. And I tried to sign up again, and it needed a phone number and it wouldn't accept my Google Voice one. So then I had to put in my real one and it said, well, you've got a new account, but because this is a phone number you've used before, fuck you, no credits ah. for you, Joe. So uh, yeah, wouldn't work for me. So I was uh, unable to try it out. Aww. But if you've never signed up before and are willing to give them your phone number, and want to use the uh, yeah, get right on that command then. line. What could go wrong? Yeah, they're, they're happy to use all of our information to make their products that they then take to sell back to us. What lovely, lovely people! I hope nothing terrible happens to them. <laughs> I'm going to sign up with your phone. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've got it somewhere. <sighs> it's on your website, I think. Actually. It might be. Everyone, it might be. Go do it now. <laughs> Shit! Delete, delete, delete. Fucking, where's that archive.org? Cancel that fucking website back up for them. <laughs> right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when who knows what we'll be talking about. It's silly season. We might have to just talk nonsense about Brexit or something. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>